0: Okay, so I want everyone to think about the things that you prioritize, what things matter most to you in terms of uh, where you're going to invest your time and your energy into. And as you're thinking about that, I mean, you're probably thinking about things like your kids, if you have them, uh, your significant others. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about work. Maybe you're thinking about a hobby, whatever it is that you're thinking about in terms of those things within life that you would prioritize above all other things. I want to ask you this, did meeting the needs of other Christians make the list? Did meeting the needs of other Christians make the list? What we're looking at today in this Big Butts of the Bible series is this thing that I want to refer to as active love. This is a love that moves, it's a love that, that does stuff. Um, and so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 24. That's where we're going to be anchoring ourselves today. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 24. In the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. And here's what it says. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 24. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not just like, and right here, like verse 18, this is the but that we're looking at in this passage. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, then we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. I'm just going to keep reading here up to 24. Uh, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, then we have confidence before God, and receive from him anything that we ask, because we keep his commands and and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know by the spirit he gave us. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word and we are having this conversation about what this act of love actually in fact look like, uh, I pray, Jesus, that you will help us to be a people who have eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that are open to you today. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I asked you earlier, you know, what are the things you prioritize, right? Uh, In terms of the things that you would invest your time and your energies into. And then I asked you, you, would you include within that list other brothers and sisters in faith? And I think it's important for us to understand where we sit on this because there's something that we're called into that was there for the early church that made the early church incredibly contagious as a community. John gave us his command that we are to love one another, right? In 1 John 3.11, and that we should love one another. The command to love others is one of the most repeated commands in the entire New Testament. As a matter of fact, it's said in about 55 different ways all throughout the New Testament, more than 55 times but many, many ways as well as a direct command. Here's some of the forms it takes. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, verse 44. Okay, love your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. And it's said like seven other times in the New Testament this way. Love one another. John 13, 34 and 14 other times in the New Testament do everything in love 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 4 serve one another in love Galatians 5:13 bear with one another in love live a life of love speak the truth in love put on love pursue love stir up love or stir up one another to love love one another deeply and more and so there is this disposition that we are to have as believers that shows a love towards other Believers. Period. No ands, ifs, or buts. This is how we are to function. And so when we look deeper into it, and we look at verse uh, 16 specifically, or, or just even this whole section here talking about love and, and needing to be in deed and in truth, this language of deed and truth is contrasted against the idea of, of mouth and, and word, like word and, and, and mouth, right? Word and speech. It's not that we shouldn't speak lovingly to other people. It's like there's plenty of scriptures, especially within the Proverbs, that we are to speak well to each other and of each other. Plenty of scripture telling us that. But but here, John is telling us that real love is shown and not just spoken. There's deeds. There's activity. There's action. Real love is also love that's done in truth. And so you see two major love problems within the world around us, right? So the first problem would be something like this. Promising a lot with our words and not following through on our actions in terms of um, how we commit to other people. It's a love issue, right? Like, do I love them enough to follow through on the things that I say I'll follow through on? And, And so we have that. And many people refer to that as like a hypocrisy, right? It's a love hypocrisy. We claim one thing, we do something different. The second one would be the idea of doing something for somebody but we have these impure motives in it that are very selfish, right, that are directed towards us. And that would be a manipulative kind of love, right? Like, if you love me, you would do this, okay? But if you would love them, you wouldn't ask them that way and with that intention. So you might be sitting there with painful memories about maybe a way you were wronged with hypocritical or um, with manipulative love. But I wanna, I wanna tell you that God has a better plan and a perfect way for us to respond and maybe you're sitting here and you'll realize that well sometimes you've been that person that's been the the loving hypocrite or the manipulative way of loving in fact to some degree we probably all have been and i want to tell you that god commands us towards a different way of loving as a matter of fact Um, Peter, no sorry, James, was really big on the idea of us not just being an intellectual Christian, the the person who doesn't just hear things. He actually says in James chapter 1 verse 22, do not merely listen to the Word as so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So don't just listen to it, do it. There's this active response to the Word of God that we are to have, especially as it relates to His commands. Because God calls us to obey his commands and so when it comes to this we are to love unconditionally just like Jesus loves unconditionally and I want to share two realities with that there's the reality of the active of love that I just finished talking about right and the active love is the unconditional love the active love is a love that lays itself down and then you have what I would refer to maybe as a as a passive love right if you got active you got passive and, and passive love is a tendency to close up and self-protect rather than lay down. And so the passive love, you could say, would be conditional love. It is the love that is going to be characterized by that hip- hypocritical love or the manipulative love. You've got the unconditional love that's going to be characterized by the attitude and the example of Jesus. And there, like I said, there are these two big realities. We have the act of love and the passive love. So let me explain these out a little bit. If you look at verse 16 of First John chapter three, verse 16, um, what it does for us is, is gives us a bit of a launching pad to understand what love is, and then what it means for us to behave in relationship to that. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So there you go. That's what act of love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. And so if you really want to know what love looks like, it's the cross. Jesus laying down his life for us. And you compare that, like you compare this passage with other passages that reference Jesus' love in this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. It's demonstrated in 1 John 3.16 that we just talked about, right? Like by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The world will tell us all kinds of things about what love is. But this verse tells us the perfect example and tells us how we can be enabled to love in the same way. It says that, that Jesus laid down his life for us and then it tells us to do the same thing. And like really, the only way that we're going to be able to love like Jesus did is to be enabled by him to love as he did. This kind of love is unconditional. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. So think about this. Like If we're supposed to love like Jesus, then that love is unconditional, meaning that the other person doesn't determine the strength of, the determination of, the value of our love. It's unconditional. We love them. Now you may not always like them. That's different. But we always love them. But then in addition to that, it is sacrificing. It is a self-sacrificing love towards our brothers and sisters in faith. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable for us. Because we love the idea of a sacrificial love when it comes our way. You know, we, we are... We feel a sense of value and gratitude when people sacrificially love on our behalf. We don't always feel like sacrificially loving on someone else's behalf, and especially if it's a person, man, they're just like their personality is sandpaper for us, right? Like we just we don't get along. We, you know, like we know that we're supposed to love them. But we're not confident, like we know that God loves them, we're just not sure that God likes them either, right? So it's this this thing that we struggle with because we seem to think that we can only love the people that we enjoy. And yet we're told to love our enemies. And I don't enjoy enemies. I don't want any. And I certainly don't enjoy them. So there's this unique space that Christian love has that moves in favor of the person That we're to have our love directed towards well we love our enemy and we bless those who persecute us right we we certainly we love our family and, and that kind of stuff and then at the same time like god showed his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners christ died for us and so christ's love was not dependent on our holiness christ's love gave us our holiness now think about that for a second it's really unconditional it lays down. Now the phrase lay down used here in verse 16, um, it, it's, it's there with the sense of giving things up. It's it's the laying aside or the right or possession. Um, it, it's directly in line with the use of the agape love that gets talked about um, in this exact same passage. Jesus chose to lay aside his very life, uh, his right to live And that was an act of love is what we're learning in this particular passage. And it comes with no conditions. Look, Jesus didn't wait for people to suddenly become worthy of Him dying for them. He didn't wait for them to love Him. Um, He didn't wait for them to reach a certain level of holiness. He didn't wait till people stopped rebelling against Him. He didn't wait until people stopped being mean to Him. It wasn't a matter of waiting until people reached a certain level of deserving kind of love. He loved and he acted on their behalf in that love. Now, can you imagine if parents love their children conditionally? Like they would wait until their kid reaches some level of deserving it? When you start appreciating who I am in your life, then I'll start loving you properly? Like it, we don't do that, that's not how it works. Unconditional love lays down. It doesn't mean that we accept or condone any forms of abuse or ignore sins from other people. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus called people on their sin. People still need to be held responsible for their actions, and they got to deal with the consequences of what they do. But you know, sometimes that's an act of love too. Like I think about the the times where I need to correct my kids, it, it's for their good. And so when someone's doing sin. In life, and when we come towards them and say, "No, this has got to stop," it's actually for their benefit. It's not just simply punitive. And here, what we're talking about is the inner motivation of the heart and how we respond to people. So, do we love based upon the standard that someone must earn in our eyes, or do we base it upon the standard that God has given every person whom He has created in His image? So is it based on how we evaluate or is it based on how God evaluates? If it's based on how God evaluates, well, then we lovingly sacrifice and that's our starting place. It's based on how we evaluate, then that person's got to earn it to some measure before we're willing to, to kind of give it, right? Unconditional love lays down. Laying down requires sacrifice, and it's a sacrificial, unconditional love. That is what Jesus does, and we're called to do the same according to verse 16. And so verse 16 provides us the example of what we are to be, what we are to do, and the motivations related to that. Then you could say that verse 17 is the contrast to it, right? Like verse 17 reads, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Verse 17 gives us a contrast. It's a bad example of how to love. And here's where we learn what that conditional love, you could say, um, looks like. That How passive love closes up. It closes up the heart. We're given a situation in verse 17. It's kind of like a case study, right? To see if, if we understand the command of love the way Jesus talks about it, right? Like someone has some goods and they see that the other person doesn't have any goods, right? Like, so if somebody has many material possessions and, and sees that their brother or sister is in need and doesn't give to that person, then like, or doesn't have any pity towards that person, then how can the love of God be in them? So if you're the one with the world's goods, what would you do? Someone needs help with food, help with transportation, help with clothing, a need that you're skilled to help with, Do you do it or do you, do you cover your time so much that you would say, it's not that I don't have the time. It's that I don't want to give the time. It's not that I don't have the stuff. It's that I don't want to give the stuff. Like where are we on that? When we evaluate it. And the response to this situation is that the one with the world's goods closes his heart against the one in need. So what does that prove? Well, the last sentence of the verse tells us it's, it proves that God's love is not, in fact, actually in them. Like, like Think about it. Like In terms of for God to, to look at that, one of the evaluations in terms of whether or not God's love is present and flowing out of your life is whether or not you are willing to meet the needs of others, whether or not I am willing to meet the needs of others. And so what you could say is that a closed heart is evidence of the absence of God's love. A closed heart is the evidence of the absence of God's love. If you look at the phrase, there's quite a diversity of translations within the English in, for verse 17. They all come down to mean the same thing, but, but it, it helps you when you look at other translations. Sometimes it just helps you gain the scope of the meaning. So he closes his heart according to the ESV, NASB, and the New King James. Closes his eyes to the need, HCSB. Shows no compassion, New Living Translation. Withholds compassion, has no pity. In other words, the heart's not moved towards that person. The Greek word here um, for having no pity or, or lacking of that compassion, it's actually the Greek word for bowels. Now I know that sounds disturbing, right? Because we say, ah, oh, come on, have a heart. They would say, hey, have some innards. Because the belief is that the emotions, um, the innards, the innermost place of the person were the, was the place that the emotions sat. And so when it talks about the idea of, of like their innermost being or the bowels kind of thing here, it's the same way that we would refer to the heart of things, the heart of the matter. It's the seed of the emotions, and so it's a reference to compassion. So if you have stuff, according to this, if the person who has the stuff sees the need of the brother or sister, but doesn't have compassion towards them, meaning that they won't help fulfill meeting that need, how can the love of God be in them? In other words, it's not evidenced in them. And it's a little case study given in 17. It's the person that has the world's goods, they can then meet the need, um, and we can love Jesus, exemplified love, sorry, we can meet the need, we can love because Jesus exemplified love and God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. So think about what happens to the, to the heart, the innermost being, the innermost person, when God transforms you. Your heart is regenerated. You know, he says, like, I'll give you a heart of flesh where you had a heart of stone, right? Like, so there is this softness, this compassion that kicks in, this, this Vulnerability, you could say, but ultimately what it is is the idea of stone is dead, flesh is live. And so you give your heart of flesh where there was once a heart of stone. So God transforms us. Our heart is regenerated when we come to Christ. We are, rep- We are repenting of sin. We profess faith in Jesus. He has transformed us into this whole new person. And our heart has a whole new capacity than it has ever had before in order to be able to be loving. Now we can then also practice the fruits of the Spirit, which one of them includes love. When an opportunity to love comes up, the reason why we would not love as we should is because we would close our hearts. We would not yield to the Holy Spirit's prompting and love like we should. I have lots of conversations like this with people. When we talk about the Holy Spirit's prompting and, and, and to move us towards acts of compassion, and sometimes it's like this, you know, you're driving on a highway. It's a cold night and someone's pulled over on the highway. It's pretty clear that that, uh, that something's wrong. And you just keep driving. And the reason you keep driving is, is we, we have this logic that we, that we use and we say, well, that person's got a cell phone. So they're going to contact whomever it is to come and help them. Sure. It's true. It could be very true, but we don't actually know unless we stop. So when someone's on the side of the road, the thing to do is stop, see if they have needs. And I find myself, like, I've, I've driven past people. I've, I've done that, I've, I've had that internal argument that says, well, you know what, they've, they've probably already called somebody and are now just waiting. But I don't actually know because I didn't stop. And the Holy Spirit, at that point, I think, is actually prompting me to stop. At the very least, even if they don't actually need my help, The act of compassion shown by stopping will be an encouragement to them in the day. And I want to suggest to you that any time that we would withhold this or we don't follow the Spirit's prompting on this, when we're not willing to let someone into our hearts or into our transformed world of grace, we close ourselves to that person. And we call that conditional love. There's a, some reason why you don't feel like that person is worthy of experiencing the transforming grace that you've experienced in that way. We close our hearts and, and we don't love, but instead, we should respond, or instead, we actually respond just as sinfully, we could say, as a person who maybe they've sinned against us, they've done something against us, and our response is to close up and not act with compassion towards them. You could say it this way, that unconditional love opens doors and conditional love slams them. Unconditional love opens doors, conditional love slams them. Like parents, you, you lay down your life for your kids. When a child cries in the middle of the night or constantly keeps coming to you for help, you're laying aside your rights for the moment to love. And you're modeling Jesus to them. Spouses, you lay down your lives for your husband or wife. It would often be easier to just do what you would like, but marriage is serving one another, and so we lay down things that we feel might be rightfully ours in order to love well. And when you lay down your life for your husband and wife, it would often be easier to just do what you would like, right? But we're building a foundation established by Jesus for our marriage. so. So we sacrifice, and we, we love in action. I, a number of years ago, I still can't get it out of my head, there was, an, there was a movie um, called Robots. And the primary theme that was coming out of this movie uh, was this line that says, see a need, fill a need. See a need, a need fill a need and i've never been able to get that out of my head because i think that is the one of the greatest simplest ways to describe christian love in action see a need fill a need if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in them see a need fill a need And it actually, the motivation of that is meeting the need because the love of God propels us towards that. It's not so that we look like we have the love of God in us. It is because we have the love of God in us that we do these things. And so to to wrap this up, we say that active love lays down, passive love closes up. and, And the best example we have of that is Jesus because he laid down his life for us. So aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just say something, but he actually did something? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just say, I love you, but he actually went to the cross to give us eternal life and have that love evidenced in action? Love isn't just by word or talk. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't just say something, but that he did something? And we're to be just like him. First John two six. Those who claim to live in Jesus, live in Christ, must live as Jesus lived. Jesus didn't just say things; he did things. So let's not just let us not just use word and speech, but let us love with deed and truth. And just imagine how contagious that would be. See a need, fill a need. See a need, fill a need. Love, biblical love in the body of believers is active. It's active. So there's my challenge to you and to me. See a need, fill a need. And in doing so, we fulfill part of the law of love that we find from Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would see needs and fill needs that we would do so sacrificially, but we would not do so further than what you would call us to do so, Lord. So may we understand where we are to serve in that way, when we understand what it means to love actively. May we understand, Lord, truly, that we are to be models of you. We are your ambassadors. We're to be conformed to your image. You saw a need, you filled the need, and we're to be just like you, Lord. Help us to do that. In your name I pray. Hey, man.